Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do something that I've never really done before, and I'm going to try to, uh, to set for you what I believe uh, will be the trajectory of this morning's sermon, okay? Um, this is what happens when I actually get time to prepare. <laughs> um, this is the way that I see things going today, okay? Uh, I think that I'm going to start out, and uh, it's going to be pretty boring, like right at the front end. I'm expecting it to be pretty not great. And then there's going to be a moment where it feels like it's getting a little bit better, and I'm going to bottom things back out again, okay? And then we'll be boring again. And then I think towards the end of this thing, it's going to feel like it's on the upswing, and then uh, the peak will be uh, we will receive communion together. And that will absolutely be the highlight of the service, I can guarantee you that. So uh, that is at least what I imagine the trajectory is going to look like. And so with that said, let's get to it. Psalm uh, 23, Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. And this is what the text says. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and God, I pray now for your anointing. Um, God, you can do whatever it is that you want to do in this place, and I pray that you speak directly um, to some people's hearts and souls today by uh, way of the Spirit. Uh, do that thing you do where you meet people exactly where they are. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see what you want to show us and ears to hear what you want to say to us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. So the focus uh, of today's sermon uh, is going to be on uh, verse 5. Um, Psalm 23, verse 5, where David says these words. He says, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, maybe it's just me, but I find this verse to be the most difficult verse to interpret in the 23rd Psalm. And there's a number of reasons why that is so, but it has to do primarily with the complexity and obscurity of the language that David chose to use here. When we read this verse, certain decisions have to be made with regard to interpretation, and whatever decisions we choose to make in the verse actually serve to change uh, the meaning or the interpretation of the passage. Let me give you some examples, okay, of what I'm talking about. First, when it comes to the 23rd Psalm, we really don't know if the image of God as shepherd and us as sheep is supposed to hold up all through the 23rd Psalm or if there is a shift in metaphor in verse 5. So when David says, you prepare a table before me, 
that should lead us to ask certain questions like, okay, uh, you prepare a table before me. Does that mean uh, are we still in the fields or have we moved inside? Like, are we still talking about sheep or are we now back to being human? And some scholars in their commentaries on the 23rd Psalm, they'll say, actually what's happening here is David is providing us with two very different and distinct metaphors for the character of God. The first one is that God is good shepherd. The second one is that God is gracious host. And they say verse 5 is the hinge where that turn takes place. The first few verses, God's good shepherd at verse 5, he starts presenting God as gracious host. That's what some commentators say, scholars say about this text, while other scholars say, no, that's not what's happening at all. Though actually, the image of God as shepherd and us as sheep is upheld all throughout the verse. And when David talks about you prepare a table for me, he is talking about outside, the table is set by the shepherd in the wild, in the fields, underneath the stars. Now you would think that if we could study this chapter, particularly this verse in uh, its original Hebrew, that that would somehow uh, enlighten us to the truth. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, that in this particular scenario, uh, the Hebrew actually makes things worse, okay? When it comes to try to interpret it, the Psalm 23, verse five, uh, the Hebrew actually serves to complicate things. Um, this is what I mean. The Hebrew word that David uses for table is the word shulhan, S-H-U-L-H-A-N, shulhan. And uh, a shulhan can certainly be a wooden piece of furniture that is most often found in a, a home where families sometimes gather to eat what we here in the great U.S. of A. often think about when we think about a table. But in uh, Arabic cultures, both back then and still today, the word shulhan is most often used to describe an animal skin or a rug that gets laid on the ground to keep dirt out of food. So when we read Shohan, and we do a word study on that, we find get, we can still be inside or we can be outside. It certainly does not bring clarity in the house, in the fields, and since we're unsure of what David is talking about here, we have to choose. And if it hadn't got fun yet, the confusion continues in the next line. When David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies is only two Hebrew words. It's the word negid and the word sorire. Negid literally means in front of, and sorire means those who are hostile to me. Negid, sorire. So all we know clearly about this verse is that there is a table there and that David is there and his enemies or some people who are hostile to him are in front of him. What we do not know is, are his enemies seated at the table with him? Are they sharing a meal together? Or are his enemies watching him eat? Now, surely you can understand how that image, like whatever image you go to in your head when you imagine it, that will really serve to shape how you interpret the passage because if his enemies are with him at the table, then this is a verse about reconciliation. Somebody's sharing this feast with his enemies, but if his enemies are watching him eat, then it's about recognition. 
They're supposed to see God honoring him in the presence of his foes. Again, we have to decide, is he, are the enemies with him at the table? Or are they watching him eat? Lastly, the Hebrew words for you anoint my head with oil are desante basimen rosi. Desante basimen rosi. You guessed it. Desante basimen rosi can be used to describe oil that gets placed on a person's head as an act of honor to anoint their head with oil. But you know what else it can be talking about? It can be talking about cooking oil. Oil that gets added to food just to fatten the food up. It can also be talking about a salve, an oil that shepherds would sometimes use medicinally to place on sheep's wounds to help heal whatever struggles that they might be dealing with. Like we don't know here if David is talking about cooking oil or essential oils. We don't know if he's talking about Crisco or thieves. We got to choose. Like we have to make a choice. And the point is, our choosing affects our interpretation. Now, I say all that to, to say a couple of things. One, I want to say this. I think it should irritate you that most preachers and pastors don't tell you that stuff. Like, it actually really bothers me that a lot of times, it bothers me when a pastor will come up or a preacher will come up and speak very confidently about a text that they shouldn't be able to speak so confidently about. You understand what I'm saying? I feel like they make a lot of assumptions. And so part of me just wants to be like, hey, this is a difficult passage to interpret. I'm just going to own that and share that with you all. And so um, because it is to, you know, difficult to in- interpret, the reason that I wanted to lead into the sermon with this sort of five-minute subpar Hebrew lesson is because I want you to understand that in an effort this morning for me to come up with something to say, I had to make certain choices. And those choices have led to a certain interpretation, and hopefully that interpretation will lead to a practical application. But if when you read these verses, you see them differently than I do, we can still be friends. You certainly reserve the right to be wrong. (laughs) JK. Just kidding. So what choices did I make? These are the choices that when it comes to the 23rd Psalm, personally, these are the choices that I make. Uh, I think that the image of sheep and shepherd is supposed to hold all throughout the 23rd Psalm. And I think that when David says, you prepare a table before me, I think he is talking more, uh, less about a wooden piece of furniture and more about a picnic blanket. And I believe that the shepherd was laying down, the, setting the table, laying down the blanket right in the fat middle of the wilderness. And I believe that the sheep were out there feasting with their shepherd under the shepherd's protection while predators were looking on, wolves, foxes, and jackals. So these are the choices I made. Shepherd, sheep, feast, picnic, blanket, enemies looking on. And it is with that image that I want us to kind of really dive in because when we see things through that perspective, I think this story can really reveal to us a lot about the heart of God. And then now, bottom back out. 
So uh, some 300 years before David uh, wrote this psalm, the Israelites uh, were wandering in the wilderness. You'll remember uh, Moses, uh, with the power of God, went to the Pharaoh, demanded that uh, the Egyptians set the Israelites free. It's the plagues. You all have seen the Prince of Egypt. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, once the Israelites were free, they passed through the Red Sea. They spent 40 years wandering uh, in the wilderness. Now, hopefully some of you all will remember that uh, pretty much immediately after they uh, were freed, they began to grumble against God and against Moses. They began to complain. They said that they wanted to go back to Egypt. They didn't know what to do with freedom. They didn't know how to be free. And they often said that they wanted to go back and eat the same foods that they ate in Egypt because in Egypt they said we had fish and we had melons and we had garlic. And so they were asking God and they were asking Moses to take them back into slavery. Now David wasn't the only person to write the Psalms. Uh, David had a worship leader named Asaph. And if you read through the Psalms, Asaph is responsible for at least 12 of the 150 Psalms. And in Psalm 78, it's referred to as a mascal of Asaph, Asaph describes the emotions that the Israelites were feeling when they were wandering around the wilderness. And I want us to look at that text now. They've got it pulled up for us. This is Psalm 78, starting in verse 10. This is what Asaph wrote. He says, the Israelites did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? The verse that I want us to focus on from Psalm 78 in the text that we just read is verse 19. And that is because Asaph says that while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, while they were looking for the promised land, they spoke against God saying these words, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Now to me, uh, this is such an important question. And it is a question that I think should resonate with most of us because essentially what I think the Israelites were asking here is, uh, God, can you make us feel at home even when we don't have one. God, even in our wondering, 
Can you still show up? Will you meet with us even in the wild? Now, surely some of you all have felt like that before and asked similar questions to that. I certainly know uh, that I have. I mean, maybe something happened in your life that kind of dramatically changed your life's course in an instant, okay? Maybe uh, you went through a divorce. Maybe you lost somebody that you loved, or uh, maybe you received some kind of really tragic and shocking diagnosis, but whatever it was that happened, from the moment that thing happened, things in your world were different. It was like after that thing happened, since that time you have felt confused, you felt displaced, you have felt disoriented, like since that thing you haven't felt at home in this world. Is anybody tracking with me? Like anybody ever had uh, a moment like that in their lives? And maybe for you, you have felt like uh, the Israelites, like you're wandering uh, around in the wilderness. Some of you probably feel like you are in the fat middle of the wilderness right now, and you're asking the same questions that they were asking. You're going, uh, God, can you still meet with me here? Like, now that I don't feel like I'm at home in this world, can, can you come to me? Can you still find me? Will you meet with me even in the wild? The Israelites continually ask the question, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? And in Psalm 23, verse 5, I think David provided them with an answer to the question, can God spread a table in the wilderness? David says, absolutely he can. Absolutely he can. He said, my God prepares a table for me in the wild. He meets me right where I'm at. He throws down the picnic blanket right there in the fields and we feast together. He goes, let me tell you about my shepherd. When my shepherd sets a table, my plate is never empty and my cup never runs dry. He says, though I may be surrounded by enemies and they are looking on ready to attack me, David says, I, in the presence of my advocate, I will never fear my adversary. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Absolutely he can. He did, and he does. And I need you to understand that when David says these things, it's not from a place of naivete, okay? David knew what it was like not to have a home. At one point in David's story, he went on the run from Saul, and he spent six months living in the caves of Adullam with his family. So when David says God can spread a table in the wilderness, David is a person who knew God both in the kingdom and in the caves. He had experienced God in the palace and in the fields. Man, that's the kind of king that I think would be worth following. He knew. And God can say, he can set a feast right in the midst of the palace and he can set a feast for me right in the midst of the caves. Now, what I think David is trying to tell us here and I think this is pretty important to our faith, is I think that David is letting us know that the table of God is mobile. 
He's trying to let us know that God's table is mobile. Sometimes we go to God's table. Sometimes he brings the table to us. Church, what I want you to understand here is I don't want you to be surprised when God finds you in the wild places. Like, don't be surprised when in the midst of your loneliness and weariness and woundedness, don't be surprised if God doesn't show up and lay down the picnic blanket and offer you some food to eat and something to drink and just ask you to sit and to meet with him for a while. Sometimes we go to the table of God, sometimes he brings the table to us. Several Christmases ago, we bought Langston and Riggs hamsters. I don't remember how long ago it was, maybe four or five years ago. We got them two hamsters, and they named them Sean and Gus, okay, after the TV show Sock. It's one of our faves, and so that's what they named. These hamsters are long gone, I'm here to tell you, okay? Uh, Sean and Gus, R.I.P. Young Kings, you know? But Gus, as far as hamsters go, Gus was like the Houdini of hamsters. I mean, he was. Gus was a magician. Uh, he was constantly escaping from his home, constantly f- escaping from his little cage that we, we kept him in. And uh, usually when he would escape, he would only be gone for like two or three hours at a time. And Deacon had a knack for finding him. And we'd find him like behind the couch, run behind the couch in the toy room and get, you know, get him and put him back in his cage. But this one time, uh, Gus... Uh, was lost for like a week, okay? He was gone for like six or seven days. Like I thought he'd finally made the great escape, okay? But uh, one morning I got up and I was leaving to go to work and it was pretty quiet around the house and I was walking out the back door of our toy room and I heard something stirring over in the corner of the toy room where the treadmill is, where our treadmill is. And so uh, I went to get Bethany and the kids, and I'm like, hey, I think I hear something over there. And they got a flashlight, and we went in there, and we began our search. Sure enough, uh, we pulled back the plastic base on the treadmill. There's Gus. He had been living there for like six or seven days. Um, apparently, he thought that he had outgrown his spinning wheel, and he wanted to try a real challenge. And when I tell you this hamster was living in this treadmill, he was living in this treadmill. He had found some cotton, he had found some cloth, and my man had made him a little hamster bed right there. And and, um, he's the only hamster I've ever known to have a vacation home. (laughs) This is his place on the side. He's taking vacation days. But we pull back the whole base of the treadmill, and there he is. And... (laughs) And do not mention this to my boys because till, to this day it'll still make them cry, especially Riggs, okay? Uh, he looked so sad. I mean, he was tiny because he probably hadn't anything to eat or drink in six or seven days. And he, he, was, he was weak and he was little and he was like kind of shaking and he's always afraid of Langston Riggs as any little animal should be, but... At this point, when he looks up and sees him, I mean, he's like so excited. He like, uh, I, I think you could see a little tear in this little hamster's beady eyes, you know? Just like rolling down his face. And Langston Riggs reached down, 
to pick him up, and he just climbs right up in their hands. And he's looking at him with this look like, I can't believe you found me even here. I can't believe. I didn't think anybody. And they picked him up, and they gave him treats, you know, and they loved on him, and then they took him back to, they took him back to his home, put him back in the cave. As uh, silly as it may seem, church, one of the points that I think David is trying to make for us here in Psalm 23, verse 5, is that the same thing we did for Gus, God does for us. Even when we are in a place where we feel worn down, alone, and tired, even when we're in the place when we feel far from home, even when we feel like darkness seems like it's winning all around us and the winds of this world have pushed us to places that we never thought we would go. Even when we have made our beds in some pretty questionable places, even in those moments, even in the wilderness, God can still show up. And right there in the midst of the wild, he can meet you, lay out the picnic blanket, set the table, and you can meet with him there. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Absolutely he can. Absolutely he can. In some ways, I think Psalm 23, verse 5, is a messianic prophecy. And I know that's kind of a stretch. It would probably be better for me to say it this way. In a lot of ways, I believe Psalm 23, verse 5, whispers the name of Jesus because think about it. Just like David's setting up the table right there in the wild, Jesus didn't wait for us to get to him. He left heaven to come to us. And Jesus didn't do his best work in the temple, but he did it in the streets and in the fields. And Jesus was a carpenter by trade, so I'm pretty sure he would have known how to make a table and probably also how to set one. And the Bible says that when Jesus came, he invited all of us to come and dine with him. He invited all of us to come and sit with him at his table. But the really good news is, even if we don't come to his table, sometimes he'll bring the table to us. He'll find us, he'll meet us right where we are at, right in the fat middle of the wild, and he'll spread out the picnic blanket, and he'll give us a feast, and we're given the opportunity to commune with him. Here in a moment, we are going to receive communion together, but before we do that, hear me say this, sometimes we go to the table of God, sometimes he brings the table to us. If you are in the place today, and you feel far from God, like when you look at your life, you're like, it could best be described as I'm just stuck in the wilderness. I feel like it's just for years, it's just been the cycle of me in the same wasteful places, doing the same wicked things. This is what I feel like I'm supposed to tell you today. Uh, you have been found. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he has brought the table to you. Why not spend some time today just sitting with him? meeting with him, feasting with him, spend some time in his presence. David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Church, our God can find us and meet with us even in the wild, even in the wilderness. I'm going to ask the guys now, if they would, to go and grab the communion elements, the folks that I've asked to, to help me, and if I uh, could get the 
lights back down, that would be good, and the band can come on back up and lead us. Now, what I want you to notice today is uh, we have uh, the guys are going to grab the elements and they're going to place them uh, on um, these pieces of the stage or on this table that are kind of uh, strung out in the room, and that is by design today. Sometimes, most of the time, when we do communion here at the church, we ask you to come up to the table. Today, we're bringing the table to you, okay? It is close. This is uh, significant. It reminds us that God will meet with us, even in the wilderness, that sometimes we go to the table. Sometimes he brings the table to us. As the band plays, if you would, get up in in a moment and go and grab the elements and return to your seat. We will receive them together. Thank you very much.